Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with Kerry, Andy and Matthias. Hello. Hello. Hello everybody. Kerry and Andy, you've been here on the podcast before, so I think another introduction won't be necessary. Fair. Fair, good. Matthias, however, is new to the podcasting table. And will now have to introduce himself. Thanks for the heads up. My name is Matthias. I've been writing in English for quite some time, mostly short stories, and I'm currently working on my first novel. That's a good summary. I don't think anybody's ever done it this quickly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start right off. Uh, the topic today uh, is gaining inspiration from reading and we've all brought a few passages along that bring us inspiration but first let's start with a little something more general. May I ask how does what you read generally influence your writing? I often find inspiration in terms of stylistic elements and in terms of world building and how settings are created, so that's kind of helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Do you imitate what you read? No, I, I, I try more to integrate mm -hmm. it into my own style. That sounds very similar, but yeah, so imitate part of it. It's a good, yeah. it's a good, it sounds like slogan, integrate, not yeah. <laughs> imitate. But the, the, the clever plagiarist, yes. integrate, don't <laughs> Yes. And paraphrase. Yeah, yeah, always. <laughs> Um, I guess we all like imitate and integrate to some degree, I guess. Would you agree with that? You, you can't nod, do you? That doesn't work in podcasts. It's true. <laughs> Thank you. I think just as much as we are all made up of the memories of our lifetime, I think what exactly. we write is made up from what we remember reading. Mm. Uh, do, do you all remember that bad lecture about intertextuality? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all connected. I don't. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> It's, it's kind of seeped into you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seem to have got the basic gist I don't anyway. consciously remember it, but it must be there mm. somewhere. <laughs> so, what are the works that have strongly shaped you? And do these works stay with you on a daily basis? Do you need to continually keep reading them in order to stay inspired? Or are they so ingrained in your consciousness? I think it's both. I think if something is very influential to who you are and to what you write and to what inspires you, um, it draws you back in and you sort of feel the need to reread it again from time to time. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't think you would have to reread them to like remember them and continue to be inspired, but I just feel compelled to reread some things lots of lots of times. As we can see with the uh, the copies of the books you brought along. Yes. Maybe I'll be able to take a picture of them later and I can post them in the show, in the show notes for people I to see. may also not take like as good care of my novels and copies as I should, but yeah. <laughs> I think they look pretty. Okay, <laughs> sure. Do not shame my book covers. <laughs> well, I have to say I've never reread a book so far. <gasps> You've yeah. never reread a book? No, because there's so many books out there. That's true. Um, but I recently started to 
do it with one book, which is, I, I'd like to say, my favorite. It's uh, Full on the Hill by Matt Ruff. And um, he has so many stylistic elements and so a clever way to integrate different parts of the story that I felt I have to do it in order to become a better writer. Well, that's cool. I'm still quite amazed that you've never reread a book. Do you think the books that you would reread if you feel like you haven't gotten it all the first time through? For example, I had that experience with the Song of Ice and Fire, which uh, is a very rewarding reread because there are so many hints like throughout the story. It's through. like rewatching Fight Club or The Sixth Sense, where you just to get the full effect, sort of, in, you need at least uh, two goes, I feel. Mm. I also three. normally don't rewatch stuff. Oh, fair enough. So, I don't have the time, but there's so much more out there. That's you just live cool. a, a lifestyle that's entirely <coughs> foreign to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, what particularly for you two are the works that inspired you most? Or do still inspire you continually? <laughs> You want to go? Well, I think the first thing that really brought me into reading and then subsequently turned me to writing was Harry Potter because it's like the gateway into it's books. The gateway drug. And, yeah. <laughs> it was my gateway drug. And the other book that really, really inspired me was a German book by, well, actually a play by Goethe. It was Faust, uh, which my grandfather handed me when I was little, and <laughs> he sort of steered me into this mess of religion and things. And it was fun. <laughs> okay. And I like it. Just uh, part one? Well, I'm saying just in well, heavy quotation marks, but still. Part two is a hell of a mess. Yeah, that's my part, point. <laughs> part one is a mess. Part yeah. two is a hell of a mess. Yeah. And it's not finished, and it, go, it, it it's sort of a downward spiral of mythology and religious... <laughs> yes, though. <laughs> ...references that get more confusing with every verse. So at some point, it's I, I've been acquainted with it, the first one is different. Yeah, it's coherent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to finish France in school. Just didn't grip me. me <gasps> I was I... Mephistopheles. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I hardly finish any books I in school. I can see that. <laughs> what about... Like, yeah, I don't finish reading plays. I don't like to do that often. But I, didn't you watch it ever? Fast? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Be glad. The play. Yes. It's, it's, it's wonderful it's to fine. read. It's perfect to read. But every single version I've seen was horrible. Okay, let's not dwell on that. <laughs> this is not the first podcast. <laughs> Andy, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it may well become so. Andy, what about you? Uh, yeah, I guess like there's a difference between being inspired to read and to write because yeah Harry Potter and and Terry Pratchett definitely inspired me to read and, and in lots of other ways um, but and, and sort of writing is a, a recent idea for me but thinking about stories is less recent and that would be like lots of like the ones I read very early that still have stayed with me are uh, Dracula which is the 
book I have with me, which is incredibly uh, worn. So yeah, it, that is the one I've probably reread the most. And it's just just the sort of atmosphere. I don't think it's 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 the best or even one of the best of the sort of famous Gothic novels. But yeah, it's 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 creates a cool atmosphere and that sort of thing. I would try. I like to try and emulate. Uh, and the other one is again, it, it's something. I think that often what inspires you, obviously, is what you read during sort of formative years. And so the other one would probably be that I read uh, pretty early, or at least a sort of abridged version of it uh, would be The Count of Monte Cristo. Because I think that that has an easy time really uh, getting young boys into it, because it's because the main character is such an incredible power fantasy. But... I like that too, and I'm a girl. Well, I'm not saying girls can't (laughs) be inspired by by powerful people. I'm just saying the power (laughs) fantasy thing is definitely something traditionally masculine, especially especially young young. I think you're drilling the hole deeper with every sentence you say right now. (laughs) Fair enough. You, you, You could argue that it's not traditionally masculine, but I wouldn't want that to be the topic now. Um. Anyway, what's what's so impressive about it, is it, it, in my opinion, is that towards the end it it manages to subvert that power fantasy of the, of the sort of quintessential revenge story, and it does that really late into the novel, and that sort of blew my mind and made me rethink so many things. So, uh, um, that definitely stayed with me, and and getting this sort of twist, even if if nowadays that's the expected twist of a revenge story. Uh, that, yeah, that's something I, I would like to strive for in writing as well. I've also, sorry, I've also never read The Count of Monte Cristo. Well, it's a revenge story, but it goes wrong. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty much I, I, should, I, should, I could maybe watch the movie sometime. The movie's great too. Good. Well, with there's so many movie <laughs> versions, but yeah. I know, I know the, I've seen parts of the, well, parts, I've seen my dad watch it when I was a kid, <laughs> of the uh, Gerard de Bertier one. Oh, that's uh, hilarious, the, the noses. <laughs> I, did, I, like, the, yeah. I like the newer one. The 2002 like, one? Yeah, yeah, I think that was... Henry Cavill is in that. Yeah, I know. Which is hilarious. <laughs> Superman in the, in the terrible DC movie. Oh, oh. Not that bad. Sorry. <laughs> Let's not get into this. <laughs> I shall call this episode. Let's not get into this. I was going to point out that we keep the saying the tangent that. hour. <laughs> All right. So, Andy, you said you'd like to start. Yeah, I did say I, I didn't mind starting. Um, I'm not going to read from the Count of Monte Cristo or Dracula. Um, obviously. <laughs> Um, I chose uh, The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, which is a ridiculously famous urban fantasy author. Um, and uh, similarly to Dracula, I really like how he sort of uh, paints pictures with words and uh, has an easy time creating a sort of mystical atmosphere. Um, this story is about a young boy who lives in a graveyard. The boy is living, hence I said lives. But there are otherwise, I think, only ghosts and a few other undead things in the graveyard. And um, this is the first time he witnesses something that mysteriously no one seems uh, to have wanted to talk to him about all day, which is called the Macabre, and he has no idea what's going on, but he's just swept along in the the sort of atmosphere. Uh, Okay, here goes. 
They took hands, the living with the dead, and they began to dance. Bod, the name of the human boy, Bod. <laughs> Bod saw Mother Slaughter dancing with the man in the turban, while the businessman was dancing with Louisa Bartleby. Mistress Owens smiled at Bod as she took the hand of the old newspaper seller, and Mr. Owens reached out and took the hand of a small girl, without condescension, and she took his hand as if she had been waiting to dance with him her whole life. Then Bod stopped looking, because someone's hand closed around his, and the dance began. Liza Hamster grinned at him. This is fine, she said, as they began to tread the steps of the dance together. Then she sang to the tune of the dance. Step and turn and walk and stay. Now we dance, the macabre. The music filled Bod's head and chest with a fierce joy, and his feet moved as if they knew the steps already, had known them forever. Uh, now I want to do a quick jump forward, which um, is the, the mystic dance of the dead and the living together being uh, suddenly interrupted by a new arrival who, who is uh, described as a sort of uh, pale um, and creepy woman, and I really like the description here. There was a woman riding on the horses, bareback, wearing a long grey dress that hung and gleamed beneath the December moon like cobwebs in the dew. Yeah, yeah this was the very abridged section. <laughs> What's the, the, the dance called again? How do you spell that? I, I don't know if it is uh, an actual word describing macabre, like macabre, but with an Y at the end. Okay. Um, it, it's similar to the French pronunciation, which I don't know if it's coincidental or not. I don't know if it's a dance or not. Okay. Did you have French in school? Yeah. Okay. I yeah, I wasn't very good at it, but yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so did this individual piece inspire uh something you wrote in particular, or is it just a general inspiration to you? Neil mm, Gaiman in general is uh inspiration due to the way I think he makes things sound mystical. That's really it sounds really simple, but it's not easy to create a sort of magic atmosphere, especially in an urban setting as he mm. usually uses and I really like the way he does it. He, he, it seems very um, economic and precise how he how he evokes with the littlest of of like description uh, how he evokes the sort of atmosphere. Um, well, usually he, he doesn't like describe things in great detail it's just the, the, like Gleaming like cobwebs, uh, or like dew on cobwebs, or what he, uh, what he, what the line was here is, it's just it's a description of someone who's pale, but mm -hmm. but the words he uses and it's just very evocative, I think. And I tried, of course, to to emulate this, but obviously, to varying success. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's his? Sometimes I think that's something near game man also really does does very well is making the supernatural seem normal, treating it as if it was normal, not making too big of a deal out of it. Mm, yeah, I guess in a way. But his main characters are very often children or or otherwise people unfamiliar with the supernatural. So you have characters that are like awed mm -hmm. by the supernatural, and I think that plays a point, or like that are naive enough uh, to be easily awed. 
Which, yeah, it, it helps to, of course, if you want to evoke feelings, it helps to have your main characters or at least your, your, your ciphers experience those feelings in a way. So it, it's usually, it helps to portray them as extraordinary, yeah, but sort of alongside ordinary elements, which, which is impressive, I find. Mm-hmm. How did it make you feel the first time you read it? I think I was a bit old. Um, I think it would, I, it would have like just I would have just felt the magic when I had I read it when I was a little younger. But when I read this the first time, I was like twenty, I think, and I, I already like mostly just looked at it and went, "Wow, how how did he do that?" And I already tried to look at sort of the the uh, tricks he used as an author. Mm-hmm. So I, I was a bit analytical <laughs> about it. Okay, but yeah. yeah, I do think it's it's quite sort of fantastic in a way. Any more questions from you guys? Is that something you are inspired by in, in the things that you read? Like the idea that the way yeah, you create I mean, an atmosphere is that. I think it's you're very hard in? to create an authentic atmosphere within a novel. So it doesn't have to be realistic, but it mm-hmm. has to be fitting for the world that's built in. And I think this is one of the toughest things that you have to do in order to, to, to write a good book is to really create that atmosphere that, that, that takes you, that evolves around you while you read. Mm. Because the last thing you want your readers to do is stop reading because they try to figure out how this makes sense what you've just written. Yeah, so that's often... I mean, it can be confusing, but if, it's the, if the setting and everything else keeps you going... If it fits into the yeah. setting, yes, but sometimes things happen that do not have any place in the setting and then you really don't want that to happen because it really takes you out of the reading experience. It can be effective if if you do it deliberately and Mm. you try to sort of create a contrast as opposed between an extremely ordinary setting and an extremely, for example, mystical element or Mm. sci-fi element. But yeah, in in general, I think a consistent tone is something to, to strive for. Who wants to go next? I could go next. Okay, next up is Matthias. What have you brought us today? Okay, this is the, a part of the book that I mentioned earlier by Matt Ruff, The Fool on the Hill, and that's part of the prologue. And for me, it's the best prologue that I've ever read, which is a big statement, I guess. Uh, so there's only one character, it's Mr. Sunshine, and, it's, and he's based on the Greek god Apollo. Um, yeah, but there will come a man there, Mr. Sunshine thinks, looking down the paths of the future, not quite so easily as he looks down this quagmired street. A man of daydreams, in love with love. A man with a kite and the name of a saint. And a woman with the name of a princess, who could use what he might give her. He sees other characters besides these two. A peculiar pack of modern-day knights who will ride up this very street, a dog in search of heaven, a fairy with a flying wing of pinewood and gossamer. But they will be a long time coming yet. The story which has drawn him will not have its true start for over a hundred years. It's all right. It will give him time to prepare, to meddle a bit. 
What do you like about this piece? Well, in retrospective, he already tells you what the whole book is about. You still don't know it at that point. It creates a high interest to go on reading the book. It sets the tone with a nice language. It makes... It's a good outlook for the book. And I think this is what the prologue would be about. Mm -hmm. It also kind of introduces all the characters, doesn't it? It does, yes. In the main ones, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you write prologues to your stories? Because you usually write short stories. Those don't necessarily have Normally, I'm not a big fan of prologues. They are often just... Info dump. Info dump or... Exposition. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So, at first I thought, no, I don't need that one. I, need, I don't need a prologue. But now I have an idea for one that works in a similar way. So, I think it can help, be helpful, but it's very tricky. Mm -hmm. It's very tricky to do it good. Better leave it out if you're not sure that's a good one. Do you think there's a similarity between writing a prologue and writing a short story? Because there's, you have to be very economic with the amount of information you give. No, I don't think so, because it works completely different, in my opinion. Okay, I'm not experienced. Could you tell me the way you see the differences, different constraints placed on the... Well, genre? short story is a story in itself, while the prologue is... It should up. It should open the reader for the, for the actual story. Mm -hmm. So, you don't have... There's curve less, in it. There's less there's, resolution, I guess. Okay. It should awaken interest and give a bit background information and stuff like that. That's completely different to what the short story is about. Okay. How does this give you... How, what do you see in this then for your writing? What do you take from this? Mm, that it's important to be on point in the prologue. Do not babble about and do an info dump. And really, um, really think about what you want to to state there, and how it can be helpful for the rest of the story. Not just put something there because you. It's cool to have a prologue. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I get that. Do you think so? Still a good in writing in general, I think, to just uh, accessorize too much. Do you think there is a sort of analog in sto short stories, for example? I think I talked on this podcast about it before, uh, the first sentence in a short story. That's something I think about a lot. How, What does this say about the story? And uh, I guess it's in, in a way similar. Do you think about that when writing short stories? Like, how could you maybe encapsulate the, the plot in some way in the first sentence or summarize it, but sort of... I wouldn't do that, but first sentence and first paragraph is very important. Yeah, especially if in, in short stories, in novels, wherever, it should really, you should really get rid of all the unnecessary info there. So make it precise, open action, uh, introduce main character, stuff like that, and do it to raise as much interest as possible. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like about the passage you just read is that uh, it, it just throws questions at the reader. Yeah, but it, it gives a bit of information, it, it, it gives a bit of characterization for this Mr. Sunshine fellow, but at the same time you, there are just lots of mysteries, and I think that's very helpful. Yeah, that's why I like the, it as a prologue. It, I wouldn't, it wouldn't work as a first paragraph in a, in a book. 
but as a prologue, it, in my opinion, it works perfectly. I mean, it literally is the first paragraph. Yeah, but that's different. First paragraph for me is still first chapter, first paragraph. Fair enough. And yeah. Any thoughts on Matthias's passage? Lots of thoughts. <laughs> Few words. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do we know any of your um, of your works, your writings that are immediately um, inspired by this? When did you discover this? A few years back. I wouldn't say it's. It has an inspiration in that kind of sense that within the books there are quite a few different storylines working uh, separately and in the end uh, coming together. So the whole book you just thinking. Why? How can this be resolved? What's this guy doing? <laughs> and it is kind of how I write. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say that sounds very, very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there, there is the inspiration there. Uh -huh. Would you mind maybe the next time you read something of the universe, point out when there's a specific thing that... It, it, you know, that could come from here. Just general, general approach to composing bigger stories. Okay, yeah, so not, nothing too particular, but... No, not approach. in particular, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe mixing fantasy with realistic elements. That could be one very precise element that they can pinpoint. Sounds like half the table to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that might not be that new a thing. No, but this book influenced me heavily in that direction. Mm. I didn't mean it like in a way that, you know, that's uh, an old, what you call that, an old shoe? No, it's not what you say, right, is it? An old hat? It's yeah. an old hat, yeah. <laughs> it's all items of clothing, I mean, who are we to judge? <laughs> my, my first thought old was, was an old broom. <laughs> Snow broom. No, that's nothing new. It's not, it's not what I wanted to say with that. I just wanted to say that there's other people on this table who like doing this. Yeah. Shall we move on, Carrie? Last but not least. Um, well, because I'm the last. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because that's why. Oh uh, right, yeah. <laughs> I can't count to four. So. One of the quotes that inspired my writing most is something Albus Dumbledore said in The Goblet of Fire, uh, when he explains um, the use of the pensive to Harry. I use the pensive. One simply siphons the excess thoughts of one's mind, pours them into the basin, and examines them at one's leisure. It becomes easier to spot patterns and links, you understand when they are in this form. And I think that's something that we all do when we write. We use all our emotions and our thoughts that we just can't handle in our brain, pour them onto a page, and then look at them to make sense of the world. Sounds like quite an intensive thing to be doing at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> The pensive is sort of bowl where you put your thoughts and memories into so you can look at them later. Mm. 
It's like when you write something down that's been bothering you the whole day okay. and it's finally on the page and suddenly your whole mind is at peace because you've dealt with it. So is this basically your writing process and your purpose yes. in writing? It's, or one or more many? It, it's what I try to do. It's I try to deal with the things that I can't make sense of mm-hmm. by um, putting them in a different setting or um, just writing things down on the page and then looking at them later and examining them and thinking what the hell have I done? <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> well, to a certain extent this at least says that it works, doesn't it? It's, yes. Yeah. It's it's very therapeutic? Yeah. Oh, fair <laughs> oh. I was going to say cathartic, but I'm not sure that's a word. Probably. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I also, I often feel like um, stuff like that uh, is very illustrative, let's say illustrative, of uh, how much our uh, subjectivity and identity are, you know, caught up in a moment, and you might feel so very different at another time when you read it again, that you might not even either recognise the writing or recognise the person having written this as somebody different because you've changed. Is this also congruent with your interpretation? Uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah. A little bit. Does it also <laughs> give you anything stylistically? Or this quote or Harry Potter in general? Stylistically? Um, I mean, theoretically. Since earlier on I've said that our writing style comes from everything that we've read. Mm. Since Harry Potter was my actual first um, novel that I read in English and have continued to read in English over and over again, it's probably safe to say that it's a very, very good stylistic um, inspiration for me just because it's the one that I draw most of my English from. So, yeah, but I don't look at it and say, this is such um, Mm -hmm. a stylistic masterpiece, I have to imitate that. (laughs) I I, I never consciously make stylistic choices. It's something I don't really think of. It's more of a... To me, writing is an emotional process and not a mental process. Matthias is nodding, do you also never make, consciously make stylistic choices? I think the basic meaning of your style is that you don't have to think about it. It's just how you express yourself. So it's shaped by everything that you received in the past, all your experience reading, writing so far. But in the process, um, generally not overthinking it, I'm just, it happens. Mm-hmm. So for me, story or uh, whatever happens is often a process where I just type and it happens. Don't you ever consciously imitate anything? Well, consciously try to achieve another person's or some, write something similar or write like something that you see in another person's writing? And it, it's never an active plan, it's subconsciously, of course. Mm-hmm. But I never start something with the idea I have to do it like this or that. Mm-hmm.
Uh, I think there's also a difference between whether you're writing um, short stories or just in a novel style or um, whether you're writing like whether you're writing prose or poetry because in what I notice when I write poetry is I do try to sort of imitate great masters of poetry which helps because I'm trying to imitate the German ones so I can't ever copy them because mm -hmm. I'm writing in English so it's going to be <laughs> that's a <laughs> Again, Good thing. clever plagiarist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a sort of imitation going on, but when I write prose, that's just something that flows out of me or it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, my experience is very different. I feel like I'm a bit too full of theory sometimes and I try to sort of plan everything and at least consciously think about every choice I'm making, like in what way does this serve the story, the mood, the setting, the character building what have you. Um, I, I guess finding a sort of middle ground is usually helpful for this to, to at the one, on the one hand, be conscious of, of how your choices make your readers feel, but at the same time, like, if you don't have any sort of emotional attachment to your story or your characters, you, you will probably sound very, not very authentic, I guess, usually. I mean, they have a connection with the characters. You Just don't think about it. Yeah, well, I'm saying that you two seem to be very emotionally invested. Oh, okay. Obviously, as you said, it's an emotional process mm. which just pulls out of you. Mm. Whereas I'm saying that's something I should probably try to do more for a more authentic feel. But at the same time, I also value um, uh, thinking about how you can achieve certain feelings in your reader. Like thinking about, oh, this is, uh, these are lots of short sentences, this will seem more breathless and it will seem more actiony maybe. And this very colorful imagery will evoke a magical feeling or something like that. So um, thinking about that, I don't think I could ever completely abandon because it's just useful, I find. Also fun. I found it helpful to separate the thinking from the actual writing process. So you have a planning stage, basically? Now, now I have a planning stage because I have a massive uh, work ahead. And I can't just write, start writing 50,000 words and then in the end everything is shit. Um, but in my opinion, it's very helpful to separate those two processes. So plan ahead and write. It's common advice not to get too bogged down in every single sentence because you won't get mm. anything done. And yeah, that's definitely true. If you if you keep rereading the same sentence and, and like changing it, it won't necessarily get better the longer you do it, it'll just yeah, take longer. <laughs> so yeah. Are you going to do NaNoWriMo? Is that what the 50,000 words are for? No, well, I uh, know. I have to start earlier, otherwise I wouldn't be able to finish within the next four months. But I will participate mm -hmm. with a certain uh, goal. Mm -hmm. I will start... Well, in September I'm doing uh, outlining and in October I start the writing process. Okay. And in November I will continue and participate in, in the nano rhyme or whatever it's called. Is that cheating if you already start so early? No, you keep on no, because the things he's already written, right? It's all about the word limit, so you set yourself a limit 
Mm-hmm. And then you worked out it and do it every day. It's mm-hmm. not about finish. I, okay. Maybe it's about finishing. I don't care. Well, it's about writing. It's about writing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very true. Right. Get your uh, get your ass on the on the on the on the table on the stool <laughs> and write uh, two thousand words a day or whatever you feel uh, uh, is doable. Like sixteen hundred, I think, is what you need every day to finish the fifty thousand. <laughs> The 50,000 would be a novel length goal and not mm. what I would do in one month. Well, it's a really short novel, but yeah. Depends on the genre. I, I guess I don't know <laughs> the, all the numbers. Please don't push your ass on the table here. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Um, again. <laughs> again. We've had this discussion. For my part, somebody else will have to do the questioning. You'll have to question me. I don't well, remember all of them other than how does this make you feel? Should we like introduce you? Do you want to say last but not least? <laughs> last <No>. and least. <laughs> oh. Um, <Aww. laughs> uh, so this is uh, a poem called The Shout by English poet uh, Simon Armitage or Armitage. I think it's Armitage. Um, I think he's from Leeds. It's from 2002. We went out into the schoolyard together. Me and the boy whose name and face I don't remember. We were testing the range of the human voice. He had to shout for all he was worth. I had to raise an arm from across the divide to signal back that the sound had carried. He called from over the park. I lifted an arm. Out of bounds, he yelled from the end of the road, from the foot of the hill, from beyond the lookout post of Fretwell's farm. I lifted an arm. He left town, went on to be twenty years dead with a gunshot hole in the roof of his mouth in Western Australia. Boy with the name and face I don't remember. You can stop shouting now. I can still hear you. Cheerful. Yeah, and this is, I think, what poetry is, among other things, supposed to do. Just leave you, like... Depressed. No, not depressed, but leave you, just for a second, a bit like a deer in the headlights, unable to escape the the opposite of catharsis. It's like making you feel miserable. <laughs> no. In a good way. Well, miserable in a good way. And it's at least, I think what's so powerful about this one is that you can't escape the tug of it. I think it's very hard to remain unmoved by it. And the way I think it achieves this is by kind of luring you in, being very innocuous at the beginning, then... Um, the second stage is being a bit repetitive and then with the same structure as before saying something very different and you know juxtaposing childhood and adulthood juxtaposing English countryside and Western Australia and you know uh, 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 normal cheerful physics experiments you do as a kid with suicide and <laughs> but still um, and that's where the comedy comes in that's where the comedy comes in yes uh, I, I'm sorry I just 
found the wording interesting. <laughs> yeah. So definitely is a, uh, a position, yeah. yeah. And also, uh, what he does with um, him not being able to remember his face and that coming in at the end again. And I think that's just really, really well done. It is. It's like a sinister reprise in like in like musical theatre opera, but the same thing again, but like twisted. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yes. So, what did this specific piece inspire you in your own? I always said I I want to imitate because I once had this, you know. I don't know who said this. It might have been Pat Rothfuss, um, who I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, or John Daniel. Oh, that, <laughs> that guy, who I've also mentioned multiple times. Some of those two, one of those two, I guess. <laughs> or maybe they said it both. So they um, it was. Uh, it's, or maybe uh, some of one of them said it, yeah. and <laughs> part, part of, of the them other. didn't agree. <laughs> um, but, you know, how painters, master painters, sometimes look at the works of great artists and kind of go through the genres, do painting in this style, then painting another style, and then in the end amalgamate all the styles into their own but and adding a bit of it, a bit of like uh, the extra spice, I guess. <laughs> a bit of personality. <laughs> yes, the extra spice. <laughs> that's a common internet quote, right? It says good writers steal from uh, good writers and great writers steal from everyone or something like that. Okay, yeah, maybe they, they just put it in their own kind of fashion. <laughs> and so I want to do that as well, but I think it's very hard in a poem. I mean, I could technically write out everything I like about this poem and then very structurally, formulaically, mm. try to put it in, a, in another poem, but this doesn't go very well with, you know, the sudden lightning strike that usually uh, helps write poems, or at least helps write good poems to me. And, yeah, so I kind of, I come back to read it again and again, and I try to, I try to at least... Uh, keep the feeling in mind it gives me and sometimes I've done one I think that's had you know a punching end or at least that's what I'm trying to do to have a punch at the end like this one you've only done one of them yeah you did a few depressing ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes but these were depressing all the way I've not, so, uh, so you want to recreate the feeling not necessarily, but I think... Uh, or the, the intensity of the feeling. The intensity of the feeling. And I think this, you know, the way he does it can be done with any feeling. Oh, so you could warp and twist it again to be, to be positive, <laughs> technically. Everything is possible. I think so. You know, we're starting with uh, innocuousness, then be a bit repetitive, having one thing that you have at the beginning and then again at the end. I think, and then having having two lines, uh, two stanzas that uh, are the same structure as everything else, but say something very different. I think that you can really apply that to almost any kind of feeling or any kind sure. of experience. You could do a poem generator. True, true. <laughs> Let random words get inserted into that structure. But in my, my collaboration with Rhyme Zone. Someone must have tried like an algorithm about poetry. Sure. And I bet it was fine. 
and hilarious. Uh, about the uh, uh, in the way the poem stays with you, like apart from from inspiration for writing, is it something that like emotionally affected you, or did you just see oh wow effective? I'll note that for later. <laughs> I do. I mean, I'll then come back to this book, and I have a couple of poems that I've uh, marked that I read the poems, and yes, so. I feel like I shouldn't read them too often because the obviously if you read it too often in too short amount of time, you the feeling won't be as intensive anymore, I guess. And to that so today in the morning I read it so I wouldn't start crying on the podcast. Wow, okay. <laughs> <Aww>. Solid choice. <laughs> Preparation. At least to, to, an outburst might be helpful. To be to be able to be read to be able to read it without my vo my voice breaking. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this mm. is what I need to do. But otherwise, I don't. You know, I don't Dang, have the man. Things you didn't know about <laughs> Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the other thing I brought, the other um, passage I brought, is music, and I buy an act, uh, a band that I always listen to. So that's very much with me all the time. But they have like six hundred songs, so. Then also okay. with me all the time. I okay. guess then. <laughs> That's one bad with 600 songs. Yeah. Alright, I don't think we'll be able to do another round, but we can say, let's do this another time. Sure. I guess. To be continued. To be continued. Yeah. With, I've said this with a couple of other podcasts as well, other discussion episodes, but yeah, we'll need more content anyway. Content, yeah, well, there's still a lot to... Do you remember the first <laughs> books you read? You already mentioned yours in English. Because I found okay. it very interesting that you said, because as an English writer, the stylistic and the language is very important. So you already mentioned your first book. Do you too remember your first book? The first book I read, or the I read first in poem English. Or in English, yeah. I think... I, it must have been in school. I think it was Forrest Gump. Yeah, the, the first book by Free Choice. <laughs> well, I did like it. I didn't. Just, I just didn't start reading English very soon. Yeah, me neither. I, I guess after Forrest Gump, it must have been a, a Terry Pratchett book. I don't know which one. Mm, I think it was the seventh Harry Potter book. But that's interesting. <laughs> that's the reason why I read the first one in English was as a preparation in the hopes that I could take reading the other ones in English as soon as they came out because I was like, I need to have it now! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, My precious! I never really realized the op that that was an option at the time. I don't know. Might not have been a particularly smart kid. <laughs> well, my book Jones was very friend. inspirational. Was it The Fool on the Hill? No, it was not my first book that I've ever read in English. That was actually a Stephen King book, and it was it at the age of 13. Oh, this explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Obligatory answer. It inspired me to, to write, actually. That's good. Because, uh, I mean, it, it was creepy as hell. And you read about how much money Stephen King made, and you went, no, that's an yeah. idea. <laughs> it was just this intense feeling, this intense story that he created there with this monster in the, in, 
It was so striking at that age that I thought, this is so awesome, I want to create something similar. That's a really cool story. Yeah, I remember my cousin having her Stephen King face. It was very bad. She kept telling us stories before we went to sleep. Nice. It was it was fun. I'm still I totally all, not didn't have nightmares. King face, by the way. <laughs> I feel it's not a face, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I like the clown makeup. <laughs> I read the, the Shining really early, but uh, I, I feel like, and, and everyone makes this point, but so many of his stories are so similar. It's sort of, I can't read mo more than a few because there's. That's true, but it's not about the content, it, it's how, how he creates the story. Yeah, he's definitely good at atmosphere. That's that, that uh, I, I think most people agree. Yeah. Alright, is there anywhere where people can find you or your work on the internet? Not in real life. People don't, don't find us in real life, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, well um, um, unless, unless you come to the universe meetings, but not at home, please. I don't know where Leo lives, so I can find him anytime. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm here the second time and I got lost again, so I, I might not be able to find you easily. Uh, no. No place on the internet for Matthias, okay. Not yet. <laughs> I will work on that till the next podcast. Okay. There's also no place on the internet to find my stories. I do have a Twitter, at ToadyTales, but I don't really tweet, so have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> you just follow other people. Yes. Also, sometimes I, I reply, but I don't think you see that. If you no, follow me, I don't know. Unless I also follow the person you okay. to, I think. Well, I think I've already mentioned a couple of times on this podcast where you can find me on the internet. And I've also mentioned it in the Universe Anthology, which you may still be able to buy. Oh yeah, the Anthology, um. there you can find me as well. <laughs> um, me too. I'll put the links to your things in the show notes. I was going to send them on a scavenger hunt through your through the Universe podcast, so you get more listens, yeah. but you can do that if you want. People want it to be easy. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter. For now, I guess. <laughs> Until I anonymize myself on Twitter because I get too many followers or, or whatever. Um, realistic. <laughs> realistic, <laughs> yes. Um, at Leo Engelmeyer. This was episode 20 of the Universe podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter. We're at PodUniverse on Facebook. Or you can write us an email under the address podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The guests for this discussion panel were Carrie Whitman, <laughs> Andy Lausberger, and Matthias Marzi. I hope you visit this panel in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thank you for listening.